influencers. Let's get bouge. Listen to Abe Thompson for an hour. I'd rather fuck a blood relative. It's Abe Thompson. And we are live on a Saturday this week, Saturday the 29th of April. Uh, normally I do a Friday night show, some of you will no doubt be aware. Um, this week I was out with my Patreons last night, so you get you get a Saturday show instead. And it's a Saturday solo one also. Normally, you know, Friday nights are guests, um, but I didn't book one this week. I think because I knew that I was meeting the Patreons and then I just, I, I'm not really sure what I was working out diary wise but um anyway here i am and you're here with me let's fucking do this guys um welcome to episode 172 of aid thompson and other disappointments your twice weekly delve into the worlds of politics dystopia and all things awful (laughs) i am your host aid thompson and you can think of me like a sort of uh uh, but, well, this is for the benefit of the new listeners. Um, numbers have, have gone up a lot. So welcome, welcome to all of the new listeners. And a doff of the cap to the veterans also, the binfluencers. Um, but think of me like a sort of, um, you know, a Willy Wonka kind of character. Dancing around the dystopia, pointing out the awfulness over here with my cane and my top hat. Just dancing. Just I'm like a host of it. I'm the host of awfulness and dystopia, pointing it all out to you. And somehow, through me pointing it out to you and you recognising it, you, you know, there's some sort of catharsis to that, then it's, you know, you feel better about it for some reason. I don't know how that works psychologically, but it does work. Um, misery likes company and all that, I think is, is the phrase, isn't it? Um, anyway, so yes, I'm I made Thompson, uh, or at least I, I was. Uh, I'm now actually more accurately the aftermath of he. Uh, following a fairly beery session with my Patreon backers last night. Doffer the cap to all of you who made, uh, managed to to make the trek uh, yesterday evening. It's always lovely to meet everyone in person. Uh, God, I felt fucking rough, though, this morning. <laughs> I, just, I just do not have the stamina or tolerance for heavy alcohol sessions anymore, man. I'm like... You know, like I know, I know most episodes I'm on here, you know, kind of ranting away and whether I've got a guest or by myself, I'm usually on here with a beer in my hand. Right. But there is a stark difference. Between a guy enjoying a beer while, you know, I record and then maybe another one while I edit, you know, and then and then I go to bed. So what's that like two or three beers? Right. There's a stark difference between that and leaving work at five smashing back a couple round the corner, then going to meet everyone, <laughs> then getting on the 6.5% IPAs and then stumbling into a fried chicken place, fucking and like one-eyed watching old stand-up videos on the train, trying to not nod off <laughs> and then getting home at like 1am. And then I wake up at five because my, you know, two-year-old is a shit bag. It's just, it's a lot, you know, for a 42-year-old to manage. Um... But you know what? I am managing. I am managing it. I did do that. And still, I'm back here the, f- the next fucking night with a beer in hand, clocking in for you all. Um, some might say that is hugely indicative of alcoholism. Aid. You know, maybe maybe you need a break from it. But no, I'm choosing to misinterpret it as work ethic. <laughs> 
or something. Dedication. Um, so anyway, yeah. Uh, Patreon meetup last night. Good fun. Uh, tequila is becoming something of a staple with these nights, you know? Like the last one we all met up in October and somebody was buying tequila. A load of shots came out and I was like, yeah, okay, you know, I'll, I'll get involved. And I had a few, oh God, I felt like death the next day. Tequila used to be like the fun drink back in the day, didn't it? Tequila, like when you're like 19 and you have a shot of tequila, it's like, yeah, it's party time, man. I see the tequila there. It's like, yeah, who's celebrating? Who got a raise? Whose birthday is it? We're on tequila. So it must be a big night out. We're having a good time. You see a 19-year-old drinking tequila and you're like, yeah, he or she must be celebrating something or just having a good time. They're living life. That's what you think. You see a 42-year-old drinking a tequila. The first thing that goes through my mind is like, that poor bastard is going through a hell of a divorce, I reckon. Like, you know, it's just a different different connotations, I think. But anyway, yeah, tequila did appear again last night, but I managed to resist. I am capable of learning sometimes from my poor decision making. Um, uh, I got, got talking to some people from Beavertown last night while we were in the bar. Uh, so that was cool. I was, I was like, do you guys know anyone that works in marketing or like, you know, brand partnering at Beavertown? You know, is there, is there someone that partners with like content? <laughs> I was like, you know, because I've got this show, this podcast, and it went top 40 last. You know, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying like, here's my pitch, right? It went top 40 last week and it would be perfect for a brewery to sponsor it really would be so anyway i met these and they were like yeah you know i'll, I'll make a note of it now and they, they took my name down and they subscribed to the thing and you know hopefully you know maybe it could, they could turn into a sponsor and that was quite cool some fingers crossed here about that what's up to you people that i met last night if you are listening to this um i really hope they google me and it and it takes them to a half insightful like thread that I've written, you know, about media or about newspapers or so, you know, something clever, something witty that I've written, you know, or maybe like a video clip where I've got someone half famous in it, you know. I hope that's what they find when they Google my fucking name. But I know that Sod's Law, <laughs> it's going to be like, like, this is how it'll go. Right? Yeah, we met this guy on Friday and um, he, he does a top 40 podcast and he's, he's looking for a brand partner, you know, to, to sponsor. And it would be perfect for, for a brewery. So, oh, yeah, is that right? Oh, OK. Yeah, sounds fun. So who, who is he? And then they'll type in my name. <laughs> get Like straight to some tweet. Tories fuck livestock. The fuck is this shit? So, no, I'm not partnering with this guy. Is he insane? Like. I don't know. Maybe it will come to something. Maybe. Probably not, though. Um. <laughs> For what it's worth, though, like, you know, I do really like Beaver Town beer, guys. It's good beer, people. For what it's worth, you should definitely go buy it. Go buy some Beaver Town, people. Some of you are probably thinking at this stage, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you and your fucking politically divisive... Potty mouth aid. 
You know, you're going to end up landing them in some hit piece in the Daily Express. You know, people will be on some Bud Light boycott shit with it. <laughs> you know, brand disaster. Oh, but I'm sure they'll disregard all of that brand toxicity if you just say that you, an idiot, like their beer. <laughs> Which, it would be better if you said that you don't like their beer, to be honest, Dave. You're that much brand cancer. Anyway. So that's fun. Uh, what else is going on? What, what, what other podcasty admin? Oh, yeah. We, so we hit 21 Patreons, guys. That was a goal I set myself for uh, for the podcast. So that means I now have to put on this uh, this cult Sunday sermon thing because my Patreon is a cult. I'm trying to build a cult. In the post-apocalyptic Britain, we're all going to need tribes to protect us and look after us. And a cult makes sense. If you can build one then then that is a solid post-apocalyptic strategy in my mind so my patreon is a cult and it has now reached 21 members and one of the things i'd said was when we hit this mark i'm gonna do a full-on sunday sermon somewhere <laughs> like get a gown on you know get mad culty get some like a kool-aid bar in the corner I'm going to do a sermon. There's going to be, you know, I might get Supertansky down to read a psalm, <laughs> like a comedic, satirical, anti-Tory psalm. Uh, maybe I'll ask Otto English. For some reason in my mind, I think he'd be really good at this sort of thing. Get Otto English to read out like a parable or like a teaching or something. And then instead of like doing, you know, sips of wine and wafer like they do in Catholic mass and shit, uh, you know, we just have Kool-Aid or craft ale or, you know. I don't know. I think it'd be a good time. So I'm going to do that. Um, and that's coming in July. That will be a ticketed event. Uh, unless you're on the Patreon. And then I think I'll probably make it free. Um, so if you're if you're interested in that sort of stuff, if you want to come and see some, what effectively will be a night of stand-up comedy. And may maybe I might do a live podcast. I don't know. Um, but it'll be, yeah, this Sunday sermon thing. That's probably going to happen in July. The tickets will be on Patreon for that. So jump on Patreon, man. Um, anyway, without, well, sorry, with all of that out of the way, now let's get into this, shall we? Let's talk about whatever the fuck is going on out there. What is happening out in Newsland? What's on your mind, Grapes, people? What's the big story of the day? Um, the big story for the Daily Express this morning, I don't know if you guys saw it, was, uh, they are campaigning to silence Gary Lineker. <laughs> Again, these are the same people who habitually complain about cancel culture, who habitually end up with empty balls over the topic of free speech, you know, who are then front page, <laughs> an opinion headline. It's not like the news. It's not what happened. They're not reporting the news. It's like we have to silence Gary Lineker or words to that effect. It's fucking nuts. We have to silence Ga Gary Lineker must be silenced. Right. Okay. Weren't you just wetting your pants over fucking like people being silenced and cancelled? Are we, are we going 180 on that now? Are we? Oh, okay. And this sort of like, this inspired a little thread from me this morning on Twitter. Uh, where I was saying like, it should be an ipso fine of like a hundred thousand pounds when newspapers or tabloids, anything that 
pretends to be a reporter of news, if you style yourself as a newspaper, whether it's broadsheet or tabloid or whatever, if you, if your headline on the front page is opinion, and I don't give a fuck if it's like left or right or whatever, if it says we must do blah, 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 or if it says now, Mr. Sunak, you should blah, blah. Like that is opinion. That is not news. That is not what happened. If it's that, that should be a hundred thousand pound fine instantly because it's it's so irresponsible it's not telling people what the news is it's giving people your perspective you know and given the setup of how news is in this country like you get your what eight or nine newspapers every morning and they all have the headlines um and they're your topics that's the talking points for lbc and good morning britain and sky news like we've been through this a million times before i know on this podcast but just for the benefit of new listeners, that's how the news is set for the day. Uh, five or six editors that run majority right-wing newspapers print some shit about refugees or foreigners or how Harry and Meghan are X, Y and Z this week. And and then the rest of the media landscape take that baton and fucking run with it. So you end up with talking points. Even like you, you could look at most issues and go, oh, well, there's a left-wing angle to that and there's a right wing angle to that yeah but there are some subjects that are just right wing in their very nature if you were setting talking points if all of the headlines were coming from a purely left wing space we would be talking about social justice matters constantly we would be talking about equality we would be talking about um in work poverty we you know but we're not talking about those things instead every other fucking day it's like small boats this refugees that Benefit scroungers, you know, and these are right wing talking points. And then they bleed into the LBC and BBC breakfast sofa landscape. Right. And that's why I think if you have an opinion on the headline of a newspaper, it should be fined because you must fucking know that that headline is going to be taken at face value with no context no backing, no uh, foundations or, or, or anything. It's just going to be taken by a couple of talking heads on LBC that morning who will then read it and then go, well, Peter, what what do you think of it? Do you, do you think Harry should be tried for treason? And then Peter's going to go, oh, well, he's certainly got himself in a pickle, hasn't he? And then, you know, that 15-minute segment talking about Harry and Meghan. And it's like if everything starts from this right, not even just a right wing talking point, but literally a right wing opinion, we have to silence Gary Lineker. What fucking hope is there of having a balanced democratic political discussion if that's where the shit starts? Oh, get myself well fired up. Anyway, so that was... That was the Express's headline this morning. Don't know if any of you caught that one. What else is going on? The chairman of the BBC is resigning, guys. Major news story. Big news story broke last night. It's interesting that he, the Express were clearly adamant that they were going to report on a BBC scandal. It's clear. I mean, they really wanted to go for a BBC scoop, right? We have to silence Gary Lineker because he's speaking out about political matters and the leadership of the BBC. He's getting a bit political. We have to silence him. He works for the BBC. We pay his salary, etc., etc. They really wanted to go for a BBC scoop. And yet, guys, you fucking missed the big one. The chairman of the BBC, Richard Sharp, 
is stepping down. Anyone know why? Anyone over at the Express? No? Raise your hands. Okay, all right. Well, okay, I'll, I'll fill in the gaps for you. I understand the confusion because, you know, he, he facilitated a loan to Boris Johnson to keep him caked in privilege throughout his premiership and to, you know, pay off his wallpaper bill, I think. And presumably to fund his colossal takeaway bill. <laughs> and maybe pay off a CCJ here and there. I don't know. But anyway, we knew he sorted this loan out for him, right? Richard Sharp. But we also, I thought, we were told by Boris Johnson that this guy had diddly squat to do with his personal finances. Do you remember that shit? That doorstep interview where Johnson was like, Richard Sharp knows diddly squat about my personal finances. I, I can tell you that, said Boris as he made his way from his townhouse to his waiting car. And yet, you know, this guy knows nothing about his personal finances. And yet, as this report is laid on the desk of the prime minister, who happens to be Richard Sharp's ex-employee, his ex-direct report himself. Like, Sunak used to work for Richard Sharp. You guys probably know this already. Like, if you're listening to this, you're probably quite politically aware and active and stuff. But just in case you don't, you're not aware. Uh, Sunak used to work for the BBC chairman, Richard Sharp. He used to work for him at Goldman's, I think, in the city. Like, they're all interconnected, these people. Anyway, look, the, the report about the chairman's involvement in Boris Johnson's personal finances, that report lands on Rishi Sunak's desk yesterday, highlighting who loaned money, who loaned what money, how much, to whom, and how it was brokered. And on the day the report lands, right, Richard Sharp goes, yeah, fuck this. I'm, I'm not going to stick around for this shit. <laughs> you know, like he, he uh, they both, assured, Boris Johnson and Richard Sharp, both assured everyone that there was nothing to do. No, 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 no. He knows diddly squat about, no, no, no. I'm, I'm confident that I will be fully exonerated in the report. Like all of that. And then when it actually comes down to it, when the, when the report lands on the desk, he's like, yeah, I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> With all the grace and guilt of, you know, like what's that scene in Friends? Where, where Joey is about to get found out as the shit dance teacher, you know? Do you remember that one? Like he's lied to get the job as a dance teacher, and then so then he can't he can't teach the class to dance properly, so they perform terribly, and then this other guy is like, "Come on, Joey, you know, show him how it's done." And then so then he's in hot water, and he's about to get found out as a complete fraud. But rather than face the music, like literally facing the music in that instance, he just like instantly runs out the door, right? That is Richard Sharp right now. Like, hey, Richard, the report that's going to fully exonerate you, that's just landed on, on Rishi's desk. It's, it's back over it. Like, do, do you want to read it with uh, Richard? And it's just, just the sound of his car starting and pulling out of the BBC car park. Like, <clears throat> like where did he go? Like. I don't know, man. Complete, like, out the door as soon as this report lands. Just knows he's in shit. But I can understand why the Express may have run to the Lineker thing. Because, you know, if you took it at face value, if you believed 
that Richard Sharp is going to be exonerated. If you believed that he had diddly squat to do with Boris Johnson's finances, you may have not been expecting this. And so then when somebody like Gary Lineker pops his head above the parapet again, you know, maybe you're thinking, oh, that's that is clearly the big BBC story today. Let's talk about that. I believe Boris Johnson 100 percent. If Boris Johnson says it, uh, that's good enough for me. They may be thinking or may have been thinking in the Express Towers. Cheers, by the way. I was listening to um, I was listening to the news agents podcast earlier, and Lewis Goodall was saying something quite alarming uh, on it. Like he, it was like you know, fine eight hundred thousand was supplied or brokered by Richard Sharp, or we know you know he had some involvement in that transaction, um, and that he was then later installed as the chairman, right? We know these things happen, like possibly not as utterly abysmal as literally like a quid pro quo arrangement between Johnson and Sharp, you know, like a full on bribe to get the job. But it's the perception of that hire being that corrupt. That perception is as damaging as like almost had it been that corrupt, just the perception of it means that he has to go anyway. But anyway, like Goodall said in, in the podcast, he says that the actual source of the money is still unknown. Like, how wild is that? Like, we know Richard Sharp brokered the deal, the money, and but whose money was it? And what the fuck did that person get in return? for loaning almost a million pounds to the in-office prime minister of that time. And Goodall's saying in this podcast, he's like, you know, Sunak says it's not in the public interest to disclose the source of that money. And Goodall's like, you know, it obviously is in the public interest to find out who is giving, not giving, loaning £800,000 to the serving British prime minister. That he's, you know, why would somebody lend that amount of money? And why can't you just tell us? Who, like, how would you think that's not in the public interest? And you know what it kind of reminds me of, right? It kind of reminds me of the SNP shit I was talking about the other week. You know, they're getting their garden dug up because they can't account for the missing £600,000, right? of campaign finance. Like, we still don't know where that money's gone. Like, what weird and evil shit did you blow 600 grand on that was so bad that you would rather the whole country watched your garden getting dug up and thought that you were murderers? Like, getting your garden dug up, like, like how bad is it that you can't say where that money went that you'd rather think that we all think that you rose fucking west? That, that sort of thing, right? And this Sunak stance is kind of the same like what is the source of the cash funding the former prime minister's lifestyle right who is that person who are they who who is it that is so bad that you would rather ignore the question and fob us off and have everyone think that you're hooky as fuck as well mr integrity and transparency you know i pledge 
a return to integrity and transparency. Okay, well, what about the possibility, and it is a possibility because we don't fucking know where this money came from. What about the possibility that the last PM might have been bought by malicious actors and paid off in rubles or fucking Colombian blood money? What about that? Oh, oh, uh, uh, no comment. <laughs> Great. How very fucking transparent. In some ways, and you're going to have to hear me out on this, but in some ways, I kind of feel sorry for Sunak, you know? <laughs> I kind of feel sorry for him. There's a lot of you probably screaming at, you know, your podcast player or YouTube or whatever now. Like, feel sorry for him. Fuck you, Aid. No, I won't feel sorry for him. Look at all of his policies and his shit needs. But I just mean, like, you know, he's here's why I feel sorry. He's not an idiot. You know? I mean, he is he is kind of an idiot. You know, he's a bit sort of fumbling and a bit, you know. But he's he's at least half in touch with reality, you know? Like, I know he has trouble working a fucking card reader in a garage and you know and i know he's a robot and and all that stuff but but i I sense that he is in touch vaguely with like there was a quote um there's a quote i read some some source had said that rishi sunak had privately he had like sort of sworn in disbelief that he had to have suella braverman in his cabinet like he doesn't like her he doesn't want her in his team and the quote from this source was like oh god that means i have to have suella fucking braverman for fuck's sake like he was in dis like oh like so he's he gets that she's ridiculous you know you can sense he's in touch with reality that he knows how ridiculous the the mark francois of the world are and he'd like to move away from the baseless populism stuff he would like a return to integrity and transparency but he's as much a prisoner of this stuff as as Theresa May was, you know, and Liz Truss would have been if she had stuck around longer than a few weeks, right? It's the same as with all, like, they get in the big seat. They get the job that they've always wanted. And they think that they have this, you know, this vision and these ideas for how they want to change and improve the country their way or, or whatever, only to find out that they're stuck having to negotiate with cretins like the ERG and the fucking Net Zero Watch Group. And, you know, and, and, and then they too have to placate the donors. And, and their ex-colleagues were so corrupt that it all blows up as a big BBC recruitment scandal that you now have to spend time sorting out and talking about that instead of the shit that you would rather be talking about, you know? It's a sort of Shakespearean tragedy with Rishi Sunak, I feel. It's like, you know, a Shakespearean play about ego and ambition, you know? Like he gets the throne that he's always yearned for. But when he finally gets it, guys, it's not quite what he thought it would be, <laughs> you know? But I mean, look, here's, here's the thing with this Richard Sharp loan and the source of the money and shit. Like, here's the thing. Sunak is going to have to reveal who supplied Boris Johnson's cash to him. He's just going to have to because it looks too shady to not now, you know? 
Like, it's, it's possible that if this report had arrived differently, if this report had gone through the same, you know, processes and been conducted by the same King's Council and, and all of that stuff, but if it had gone down a slightly different trajectory and uh, the conclusion had been different, if the report had concluded that actually Richard Sharp, although he was, I don't know, on a call here and there about campaign funding or, you know, CCHQ donations, he wasn't actually involved in Mr. Johnson's personal finances. If that report had said that, if it had been kinder to him, it's possible Sunak could have then just said, well, you know, the report's findings were clear. Obviously, if new information emerges, then I may get dragged back into this. But for now, I'm going to draw a line under it and I'm going to crack on with my priorities, which are to stoke the culture war for the next 12 months and hope the electorate are dumb enough to care more about women's changing rooms in gyms that they never fucking go to than 12 years of failure. Like he could have just cracked on if the report had been a little bit kinder. To Richard Sharp. But given the report didn't say any of that, and actually what it says is he failed to disclose his involvement in it, in like conflicts of interests, you know, which presumably must mean he had a reasonable amount of involvement if it requires disclosure, right? If that's the case, like he's going to have to reveal the source of this money. It just stinks too bad, man. But here's a question for you, dear listeners, right? Away from the subject of the source of the money, back into the realms of resigning BBC chairmans and their close proximity to power and bias and, you know, all of these buzzwords and, you know, pinch points that we touch on when we talk about a story like this. Here is my question, right? Do you think it is possible, dear listeners, to have a credible BBC chairman <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Do you think that's possible? Do you think that job, much like, you know, Sunak going for prime minister, do you think that job is just a sort of, you know, poisoned chalice? Do you think it's possible to have a sane, unbiased chairman of the BBC now? I don't know if it is. Because if it's someone appointed by Sunak, it kind of has to be a Tory, doesn't it? Like, they wouldn't let him just hire a sort of neutral or, like, centre-left media lovey type. It has to kind of be a Tory. It'll be someone with some overlap there, some relationship with the Conservative Party. Like, if it was, if it was the former controller of ITV... You know, stepping up into the role. Tories would lose their fucking minds. They really would. Like, it, it's so paradoxical as well. Like, if it was the, you know, the ex-editor of The Guardian. What's that guy's fucking name? Alan Rusbridger, isn't it? It is Rus Rusbridger. Rus I think it's Rusbridger. Alan Rusbridger. Anyway, former editor of The Guardian, right? If it was him, the Mail and GB News... And all that right-wing ecosystem, they would just have a mass collective pants splat. They really would. At how outraged they'd get to be for the next five years, wouldn't they? 
Yeah, um, Alan Rusbridger is going to be the next chairman of the BBC. Oh, man. Oh, this is going to be fucking sweet. <laughs> Make hay. Like, like, they can wheel out all the Guardian tropes and they can blame everything on the BBC being, you know, lefty, liberal. Like, they'll come out. Oh, well, what do you expect with a fucking Guardian editor as the chairman? I don't watch the BBC anymore, Gary. Not since they put that woke bastard in at the top. And yet, you know, Rusbridger is an internationally renowned news, media, and new media thought leader. You know, he's proven, he's celebrated, he is Mr. Fucking Pulitzer, right? Is he perfect? Fucking no, obviously not. But does he fit that profile perfectly? As someone who could, you know, lead the BBC into this century with a bit of vision and a commitment to transparency and informing the public. Does he fit that? Absolutely. Yes, he does. But would he ever get the job? No. Like the paradox is there, man, isn't it? It's like, you know, Sunak absolutely would never put a Ross Bridger in because the right wing press would shit themselves inside out over perceived bias. And yet. The next person to get the role will basically have to be the counterpoint to that perceived bias, but just on the other side, right? So it will end up being a Tory, a stooge, a friend of CCHQ. Honestly, right, the best, the best thing Rishi Sunak or his team, whoever is actually deciding this, I'm pretty sure it's Sunak and his supporting staff and you know the cultures select committee or I, I don't know whoever that group of people are right the best thing they could do is probably hire someone in from overseas truly you know like get the ex-director general from cbs in or something you know just so someone with no skin in the game someone that hasn't spent time mingling with you know, new Labour types or hasn't been playing golf with fucking Oliver Dowden, you know? Just someone with no skin in the game. They don't own a red or a blue tie. They just, you know, they're just a TV guy or woman. Let's try and keep things, you know, diverse, if not realistic. Uh, just someone who wants to make good television. Like, how, how about that? Remember when the job of BBC chairman, right, would just be as a sort of, you know, figurehead, right, at the helm of the BBC. It would just be someone who would go and have tea with the royals, right, and then they'd try to make a few good TV shows. Now the whole shit's got so political. You know, whenever you read a news story about the chairman of the BBC, now, what's your initial reaction, guys? If you see the word BBC and chairman in a headline immediately you're like oh god what's this one done you know like who, who who's this one like has he been in, implicated in the arson of a refugee center or something no well okay well, was he wearing a swastika tie to the con club christmas party <laughs> like, how, just tell me this how many times has he walked into the carlton club in the last year 17 oh fucking blinding yes sounds like a perfect choice What else is going on, man? What's the other big... Oh, it's a fucking coronation. 
It's the coronation, isn't it? I don't even know when it is. I'm that much of a fucking Republican revolutionary lefty these days. Completely tuned out of it. I used to think that kind of made me not exceptional in the, you know, aren't I amazing way, but just like the exception, the edge case. Most people were in, you know, not if not into the monarchy, then broadly supportive of it. They liked the queen, basically. But these days I feel like, you know, society is catching up with my anti-royal hipsterdom. Like I was I was into republicanism before the rest of you kind of got in. I was into, into hating on the royals before it became cool. Um, Possibly not before Harry and Meghan, though. They may have picked me to the post on that one. Um, but yeah, it feels feels like now there is this sort of growing sentiment of tedium with it all doesn't it feels like more people are kind of getting a bit fed up with it and there's been polls over the last few weeks right as in the run-up to the coronation where so so many people are just saying we're not really interested in it like the stats are clear over half the country say that they are not interested in this fucking coronation like, the Queen was popular. The Queen died. Charles is now king, or, you know, officially very, very shortly will be. You know, at the moment, he's sort of, you know, king-elect, I guess. <laughs> Although, it's you know, obviously, it's hugely undemocratic, the whole idea of a monarchy, but you get the idea. It's like, he hasn't been sworn in yet, or, you know, whatever. Uh, but he's not particularly popular. People don't love Charles the way that they love the Queen. The Queen was popular. Charles is just... He couldn't hope to touch the popularity that the Queen enjoyed. Also, Harry is kind of the big star, isn't he? For better or worse, some people hate him. Some people love him. I'm sort of indifferent, to be honest. But he is the big star. He's Prince Harry on the front pages of all of the newspapers, doing his documentary, releasing his book. People that love him respect him for having walked away from this institution and, you know, speaking his truth and pulling up the curtain and saying what we've all long suspected, which is that they all have these weird private PR departments and they play games with the press and brief shit about each other. And it's a mucky, dirty, grubby, horrible world. Harry is the figurehead of that. People find William a bit dull, don't they? People find William a bit fucking dull. Dane Baptiste uh, put a tweet out last week and i replied to it or i quote tweeted him or something and between the two of us we we're basically sort of shining a light on how very very infrequent you ever hear kate middleton speak and i think you know i don't know what what that's about i don't know if it's a you know you have to retain some mystery you know for pr reasons it's actually better if you speak very very rarely you know by all means like when you're cutting a ribbon when you're opening something you know say it's an honor to be here by all means that's fine but no we don't want you to give speeches we would like william to do that he's going to be king he's the figurehead he'll be blah 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 so you you just take a back seat you want to be mysterious and you you know is it like a pr sort of thing or is it actually something hugely problematic you know like he's the man he's the leader you just stand there and look pretty love you know but anyway with harry being the big star william being a bit dull Kate not really fucking talking. Charles being hugely unpopular. Like, <laughs> I don't know, Matt. Like, 
if if they want the monarchy to survive, they've got to do something, man. You know, they've got to get, they've got to recapture the narrative. And I don't know why I'm sort of saying, I don't give a fuck if they sort of, you know, peter out. I think I've said multiple times on different episodes of the podcast, you know, I'm not necessarily all for banning the monarchy. I just think it should be kind of defunded, you know, wind the shit down. I'll tell you what, though. With William being so kind of dull, you know, if they wanted to make him more interesting, if they wanted him to appear on more headlines, to get a few more column inches, maybe they should have let that chic le- uh, shit leak out about his affair. <laughs> I don't know if any of you heard about that. They all universally, all of the papers, they appear... I don't know if they've definitely done this, but it appears that way. They appear to have agreed to not talk about it amongst all of Fleet Street and the breakfast TV shows and like all of that. There is a sort of Borg-like agreement amongst the great British free press to not talk about Prince William banging Kate Middleton's mate. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like Maybe the most expensive PR department in the world should have actually let that one out. Because honestly, that was probably the most interesting thing about Prince William. He fucked Kate Middleton's mate, did he? Uh, It is strongly rumoured to have happened, yes. (laughs) Kate and she no longer talk, in fact. But it never really bubbled up because, you know, reasons. Anyway, the royals... You know, it is a, a fact now. It is a statistical fact that we're kind of bored of them. You know, with Prince Philip's funeral, you know, the coverage, no one fucking watched that shit. Nobody was watching the days of coverage. All of that, like, you know, official period of mourning for His Royal Highness Prince Philip. Like, no, like, why are you broadcast? Do you like losing viewers? Is that what's going on? Who is buying the advertising on ITV? And Channel 4, while you're pumping out this nonsense, that's not... Like, no one's watching it! 17-page royal exclusive commemorating the death of the Queen. Who's reading all of those columns? I... Not me. (laughs) Probably not even, like, half of the Daily Mail. I'd love to see the readership. Like, the stats on Daily Mail and Daily Express readership across the two weeks after Prince Philip died. Because I can guarantee you, like, people like my dad, right? He he reads the mail. I'm pretty sure my mum used to read the mail, although I think after Brexit, she she actually sort of woke up uh, from that horrible coma that she was in. She was like, I'm not, I'm not buying that shit anymore. Um, and good for her. Uh, but I feel like if you were a habitual uh, purchaser of the Daily Mail, if... But, but let's say you're not massively into the rules, like you, you, you find the whole thing a little bit weird. If it said like 25 pages of exclusive Daily Mail coverage, wouldn't you be like, ah, I'll give it a fucking miss today? Like, my dad is not a huge royalist. He's like, he doesn't really care about that stuff. If he saw the Daily Mail with fucking 25 pages of coverage about, you know, the Queen's death, I don't know if he'd buy it. I think he'd be like, oh, this is weird. So why are these people pumping this fucking nonsense out? Like, I saw this um uh, this Twitter account earlier. I don't know if I'm following her or if she's just one of a myriad accounts that surface on my For You feed now. 
because I've interacted with her like once or twice here and there. Anyway, um, I think it's I think the account is called a girl called Lena. Um, and she she popped a tweet out earlier and it said something along the lines of, you know, everyone is saying in the stats that they don't care about this fucking coronation. People are angry at the cost of it being handed to the public, the public having to foot the bill for this. When we're talking about a guy who is his own estate has just been revealed to be like one point six billion. He's a fucking billionaire. And he's like, yeah, you lot wouldn't mind uh, picking up the tab for my party, would you? Like. What the like? People are angry about that. They're angry about fucking thirty million pounds being spent on portraits of King Charles for like your local council and schools. You know, people are angry. They, it's a cost of living crisis. They can barely afford a fucking loaf of bread, and this motherfucker's like, yeah, "You'll pick up the tab for my part." You know, people are pissed off. They already don't like him. They're already bored of the royals. The stats confirm all of this, and yet, and and all of these media conglomerates are losing viewers and readership by publishing all this stuff and it's still being pumped out and that's what this a girl called lena uh, lady was saying earlier she was like like how fucking weird is this country that people like the stats are clear you know the the polls are there saying people don't care about this stuff and yet it is just being bombarded to us I mean, sometimes it's just beyond parody. Sometimes it's like, I saw one earlier, uh, an article in The Telegraph, God help me. And you won't fucking believe this, right? This is an, well, it's an Alison Pearson uh, article. So, you know, maybe you will believe it. And it, it, literally anything is on the table when that mad fucking, I was about to drop the C-bomb there. <laughs> I feel bad though. Like, I don't want to, like, I, I don't like her. But I don't like her so much that I'm willing to be thrown into the realms of being labelled a complete misogynist, you know. Um, I'll call her a, a, a mad bitch. I can say mad bitch, right? Uh, anything's on the table when that mad bitch is concerned. There we go. Um, but the title, the, the headline from her piece today was like, Charles and Camilla's love story is the greatest love story of all time. <laughs> Charles... Charles and Camilla's love story is the greatest love story of all time. Are you fucking medicated, Alison? What is going on? Like, could you imagine Romeo and Juliet overhearing that at a fucking cafe or something? Like, yeah, they say uh, Charles and Camilla's uh, romance is the greatest love story of all time. Romeo and Juliet rover on the other table here. Like, what? Are you fucking high? Are we like, are we that far down the like? I thought we were quite romantic, babe, but we don't like it's insane. I replied back to this thing because I, I can't remember who it was now. It's a lady on LBC tweeted it. Uh, and she was like, she, she, you know, screenshotted the article as, you know, Charles and Camilla, greatest love story of all time. And then she replied, she like quote tweets it. She goes, uh, she goes, oh, come on now. <laughs> and you know what? Like there's no, there's no sort of, keyboard key or symbol for sarcasm is there but i just think that's per oh oh come on now <laughs> um and i replied back i was like if you know if theirs is the greatest love story of all time second only to lorraine and biff from back to the future <laughs> just how the fuck i mean look i don't want to teach you all to suck eggs i don't want to go over stuff that we already know but 
you know, pan out a little bit. Let's just revisit some of the hits, shall we? Some of the pinch points of the Charles and Camilla courtship. He was already fucking married. She's fucking him on the side, ruining his relationship. He's phoning Camilla when he's leaving to say, you know, ta-ta, ta-ta, my love, to Camilla whilst Diana's there in Heathrow. He's going off on a trip. I think it was to Africa or something. He leaves her alone, his new wife. And the last person he speaks to before he gets on the plane is Camilla. And Diana's fucking explode. I don't know why I know this stuff. Why do I know this? Um, such is the power of the Buckingham Palace PR department. They just fucking pump this shit into your brain and it lives there rent free. But anyway, that's what he did. He was already having an affair around the time of his marriage, of his wedding. She actually, want Diana wanted to like bail on the wedding, but her sisters kind of talked to her. They were like, look, it's too late. Too late. You're going to have to do it. Whatever will be, will be. You'll sort it out. It's okay. Just go through with it. So she went through with it. But yeah, immediately afterwards, he left her on her own. And the last person he spoke to before he got on a plane was Camilla. She, Diana's in tears. So he's a cunt. He's just a fuck. I could drop the C-bomb about him. No one's going to call me a misogynist for calling King Charles a cunt. They might call me disrespectful, but I'm okay with that. Um, but yeah, so, so that was going on. Their relationship, their romance destroyed that marriage. And grossly affected the lives of his two sons. And the ripple effects of that are still happening today. Not We haven't even touched on the fact that Diana fucking died. Would that have happened if Camilla and Charles's timeless love story had never taken place? I don't know. Jury's out, mate. The greatest love story ever told. The, great, the greatest love story ever to have been told that involved the death of a fucking princess and a torrid affair and bringing shame on the royal family and... Yeah. Nice one, Alison. Good stuff. Good, good journalism. I mean, every time I rag on the royals, man, every time I get people back in my timeline, all up in my grill... Uh, going like, yeah, but they, you know what? They bring in, they bring in enough money though, don't they? You know, it's it's actually, it's a very good investment aid when you think about it, because like, actually what happens, the maths, the maths aid, yeah, is that everyone in the UK, let's say there's 70 million people or, you know, thereabouts, 70 million people in the UK, and we all just pay like 60 pence a year and 60p times 70 million, right? That, 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 that supports them. And then they bring in like, Five billion every year, eh? Five billion pounds they bring. I'm like, you have such a low opinion of the United Kingdom, don't you? Like, you honestly believe that if we wound the monarchy the fuck down, that people would just stop coming here? That no, people would no longer be interested in, in England. They wouldn't come to visit the castles. They wouldn't be interested in seeing, like, you know, the former royal families, like, crown jewels. They wouldn't want to walk around the Tower of London, one of the oldest buildings, you know, that you can go walk around in the world, I guess. Like, they wouldn't be, they would immediately lose interest in all of that history. You wouldn't get Americans, fr you know, people from America whose families originate in England. They wouldn't want to come back and look at their ancestral roots, no? Okay. Or, like, you have such a low opinion of your own country. And it's just fucking bizarre, isn't it? Because it's always the same people 
who will then go like, no, I bloody love my country. My country's bloody amazing. I'm a patriot. Why are you always talking it down? Bloody Remainer mind virus. You're part of the blob, aren't you? You're part of the tofu eating wokarati. You need to shut the fuck up and be a bit more patriotic. And then the second that you turn around, you go like, well, do you think we could survive? Do you think this country could survive if we abolished the monarchy? Absolutely not. No, we're hopeless. We need them. <laughs> it's like, what kind of weird, fucked up, bootlicker bullshit is that? We are the best country in the world, but we definitely couldn't survive that. No, no. We we took over. We used to run the bloody world, eight. We are amazing. We're Great Bloody Britain. Britannia rules the waves, eight. We're amazing. Waving your flag, flag flapping all around your face. Do you think we could survive? If we wound down the monarchy. Absolutely not. It's insane, isn't it? I mean, especially like when you, you know, you look at other places with a lot of history, right? France, you know, we, we, we're so drunk on our own history in this country that everything's about the Tower of London and Henry VIII and Charles II and Charles I and it's like, whatever. We're so drunk on our own history and the empire and the colonies and all the rest of it we we very rarely stop to consider the history that is literally on our doorstep from our closest neighbors you know like france don't have a monarchy anymore and people still do you know i think it's is it the palace in versailles is the most visited building like in that genre for want of a better word it's it's the most visited it tops all of them <laughs> And they don't have a royal family to bring people in. So what kind of stupid argument is like, oh, if we got rid of our royals, nobody would come here anymore. Do you think they're actually expecting to see the royals? I mean, I know tourists can be stupid, but how dumb do you think they are? How stupid do you have to be to buy a fucking ticket to the UK and be like, I'm, I'm going on holiday. To, I'm going to see London. I'm going to see the, the Tower of London. I'm going to go Windsor. Do you think you'll see the Queen? Uh, yeah, that's why I'm going. Like, they're not that stupid. You go to these places to walk around the Windsor Castle stuff. You pay £17 for a glossy overpriced programme. You buy an I Love London t-shirt and you fuck off home. That's what you do. That is a standard textbook. Traditional tourist experience. And I'm happy to say that for once... I do still have confidence in the UK that we might just survive that particular dose of tumult. Oh, man. Shit winds me up. Anyway, look, this has been fun, guys. Let's uh, let's wrap up here. I've been, I, the, the hour, when, when I talk to myself for an hour, it always seems to just fly by, man. And I'm like, oh, I've only been talking for half an hour. I, I, like what else am I going to talk about like, there's always this sort of mini me in the back of my brain that's sort of f three or four sentences ahead of what I'm actually saying <laughs> it sounds like um, uh, what's it called when you've got two, like voices in your head schizophrenic it sounds like sort of schizophrenic doesn't it but it's like I'm saying stuff but I'm three sentences ahead in my brain and I'm panicking about what I'm going to talk about next I'm like I've only been talking for 30 minutes this is going to be a mad short episode what can I talk about next and then I look at the time, I'm like, fuck me, I've been talking 55 minutes. That's insane. Where did that time go? Anyway, uh, some of you listening to this will be like, no, I mean, this this has felt every one of those 55 minutes, eh? This is, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a long time. 
um i'm i'm ready for a break um but anyway guys that's it that's it from me thank you so much for continuing to uh, to listen to the podcast if you are not on the patreon yet do give it a look it's patreon.com forward slash aid thompson with an in on the end uh starts at three pounds a month so it could be super cheap it's just enough for a like you know a coffee for me and it basically it signifies a little doff of the cap from you to me it's basically you saying cheers for the episodes aid cheers for the pod enjoying it um, here's a little something to continue to support it. And it all goes into this. I haven't touched any of the money yet from the Patreon backers. It's just in an account, basically building up so that I can use that money eventually to invest in, I don't know, like pay the rent for a podcast studio somewhere that's a bit more professional than my fucking shed. <laughs> or, you know, get some decent cameras and start getting guests in, like literally in person. So it's all going towards literally the podcast. Like I'm not withdrawing the money and like, you know, blowing it on hookers and coke yet i mean you know we'll see how much the podcast studio is uh first if i've got a little bit left left over might might uh might delve down some uh some some hookers and coke kind of roots i'm not sure yet i'm just saying look don't rule it out you know i'm an open book um i mean i'm gonna say it's probably unlikely because since brexit i mean the the quality of prostitute has tanked significantly um i i did my main reason for voting remain was that i didn't want to go back to british prostitutes and uh you know it's it's hard out there it's disappointing um so yeah so i'll I'll probably just spend it on cameras and mics and shit um yeah so jump on patreon.com forward slash aid thompson uh you get exclusive uh access to the discord the instant messaging thing that we all jump in so there's me i i go in there every day uh we talk shit about tories all of the other patreon backers are in there um, you also get first look at tickets for live events like this Sunday sermon that I'm putting on uh, in July. So that will go out to Patreon backers first and then it will be ticketed to everybody else. Um, you get episodes of the podcast two days ahead of everyone else. So this is a live stream right now, right, on uh, on YouTube. But then it will immediately be withdrawn and it will go on Patreon where those guys can listen to it for two days. And then it will reemerge to the rest of you on Monday. So if you're hearing this on Monday... You kind of, you know, you're two days later than the Patreon guys. Um, oh, and also, finally, most importantly, you get credited at the end of episodes like this one. Shall I do it quickly? Let's run through the names, shall we? I should have uh, should have prepped this. I'll get it up. I'll get it up. Sounds dodgy. I'll get the names up now for you. Here we go. So special thanks. Big thanks to my Patreon backers. Uh, Aaron, Peter, Rodri, uh, Samantha, Mojo Sabian. Bowman, Jeff, and then we've got Elsa, Eddie, Kai, Stuart, Anthony, and Pingu, uh, David, Alex, Chris, Silent, T-Rex, Sarah, and Kerry. Thank you so, so much. Nice to see uh, those of you that came down to the Patreon meetup last night. Looking forward to seeing the rest of you very, very soon. Until next time, take care of yourselves. I'm out this motherfucker.